Hey guys, this is Sam and Maki, two friends born in the U.S. and raised in African families pursuing wholeness, whatever that means. This is a podcast for us by us. So come take a seat at the table and let's chop it up. <sighs> Hello. <laughs> When you come back from time off. <laughs> Honestly. It's rough. I'm a rough. Time. I'm glad we took that week off. Me too. I needed it. Especially with everything going on. It's just been a lot. So it was a good time to step away for a little bit. But I missed recording. Uh, right before we called each other I was actually getting excited like I had a smile on my face I was like oh my god I get to talk to Maki (laughs) (laughs) I know and then she started ignoring my texts and phone calls and I got mad (laughs) you know what it was a lot coming back to work it was Mm. just it was difficult I was I was getting emails on Saturday (laughs) (laughs) Who, that's like it's the weekend it's thanksgiving <laughs> why are you sending your employees emails like lots of stuff like real big chunky robust emails I'm like, <laughs> you just ruined my day be careful what you say <laughs> <laughs> your employer will hear this okay, well, i actually i that's what i did i looked at my email on sunday at 10 p.m. because I was like I don't want to ruin my my weekend the remaining part of my weekend that I had but I was like okay it's not too bad came back to 100 emails that's not horrible it's not great it's not great but it's better than three that's true and I think it's slowed down because of the holiday season so thankful that's right how was your Thanksgiving it was good (laughs) It was fun. It was good. Um, I went home Tuesday night and it was cool. Like I got to spend time with my family and it was a lot more chill. Like I would say the last few years, my mom has had, you know, 20, 30 plus people at the house for Thanksgiving and like cooking like the day before and it's like super Mm. stressful she gets up really early and it's like yeah we're cleaning all day like every inch of the house and it's not as like yeah it's pretty stressful yeah but like this year obviously it was just the immediate family there's only five of us and um we i remember like that morning it was like so chill and you know there wasn't a lot to do Mm. i like helped with one dish and it wasn't yeah so i i think i appreciated like the slowness of it yeah it wasn't yeah it just wasn't stressful which i appreciated one thing covid did do is slow everybody down i sure did said sit with yourself by yourself this whole year (laughs) yeah all by yourself yeah um yeah what about yours it was the same. I really enjoyed. I love spending time with my niece and nephew, especially my niece and nephews, because it's very like 
you, when you play with kids, it just takes you out of your head a lot because you're in the moment, you're laughing, you're running around. Yeah. So it was very refreshing to have that and all the cuddles that my little nephew gives me. Oh, love him. <laughs> Such a love bug. But no, yeah. guys, we're back for another episode. And as promised, we're going to talk a little bit more about attachment theory. Uh, which I'm excited about because I've heard a lot of good feedback from that episode and heard people tell me multiple times, yeah, definitely go into depth a little bit more about attachment theory and attachment styles because honestly, I feel like it's the key to navigating adult relationships and navigating your your yourself pretty much. Absolutely. The way you relate to other people. I think it really illuminates like how you move through the world. Mm -hmm. And we definitely walk around like unaware of our needs, like how we operate, um, even like what our childhood home, how that shaped us. Mm -hmm. And it's just such a great tool and really like, I don't know, like user friendly. Can I say that? Mm -hmm. I feel like you don't, you don't have to be like a psychology major. You don't have to be like an expert on like, yeah, cognitive behavior. Like it's just super, um, yeah, accessible. Mm-hmm. And on the last episode, we talked about our different attachment styles and how that um, showed up in our romantic relationships and even in our friendship. We've talked about that before. And I think the research that you have, there's so many different theories out there or different names for the different attachment styles. The one I'm familiar with are secure, anxious, and avoidant. Those are the three pretty much. But mm -hmm. like the overarching attachment style is secure attachment and insecure attachment style. And the insecure, that's where the anxious and the avoidant um, fall under that. But you you have kind of different terms, right? That you've um, I, I think I've pretty much used the anxious and avoidant. I have heard of people using either preoccupied or ambivalent attachment for the anxious i've always heard like either like dismissive or avoidant for the avoidant one and there might even be like a third one that i've heard of like the disorganized mm -hmm. or fearful avoidant i've but those are much less um i think much less popular or not mm -hmm. as like yeah not as widespread but there's definitely enough information out there so I don't know about you, but I I feel more comfortable talking about the anxious and avoidant. Same, same. So just to break them down quickly, um, so the secure attachment, we're gonna so pretty much the attachment styles develop from how your primary caregiver responded to your needs as a child. Um, and so secure attachment, their parents were um, the parent were warmly and consistently attuned to their needs and they could contain the baby, the child's aggression. That results in a child who is calm, confident, resilient, and can be soothed when upset. And as an adult, this adult is emotionally well adapted and able to both attach and separate from others without feeling too um, out of whack, without their nervous system being too triggered. Um, the anxious attachment had a parent that was not attuned to the baby and the availability was unpredictable or chaotic, meaning sometimes they were um, responding to the baby's needs or the baby's crying and other times they would ignore it. So the baby kind of didn't know 
when they would get that attention or when they would get their needs met and when they wouldn't, Mm. which creates kind of that uncertainty slash chaotic environment. Mm -hmm. That results in a child who is clingy and ingratiating. What is that? Mm, I don't know. Skip it. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much clingy child. And as an adult, the anxious is appeasing overly concerned with others uh, with what others think and preoccupied with the idea of romantic ecstasy mm-hmm. and then the third one avoidant is a parent um, the parent was rejecting and emotionally unavailable or intrusive and terrifying that results in a child who is angry defiant withdrawn or fragmented and easily overwhelmed um, and then as an adult the adult is emotionally shallow dismissive, um, dismissive of connections or disassociative and does not like frequent intense emotions. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the short of each attachment style. And for me, I identify more with the anxious attachment, but I feel like through a series of romantic relationships, especially the current one being in a relationship with someone who is more secure it's kind of made me swing more back to the secure side. What about you? Which one do you feel like you identify more with? And you can go more in depth because there's so many definitions of what each of these are or how it shows up. Yeah. Um, so I would say I definitely um, identify as the anxious attachment. Like that's my more my style. Um even though like I can feel like a hermit sometimes or I feel like I want to be by myself, but I just, I resonate more with those, like how my body feels when it talks about being very dysregulated and being preoccupied with the other, um, maybe low sense of self, mm-hmm. those things. That's, that's the anxious attachment. So that's why I think I can say that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, can we like unpack that a little bit more? Like what has that look like for you when you say anxious attachment? Um, so when I was listening to another podcast about attachment, pretty much um, your attachment figures tend to be your parents or your romantic figures. And sometimes it can show up with relationship with friends or siblings, but mostly it's those two figures in your life that will bring out more of your attention uh, attachment style Mm -hmm. and a lot of um, therapists have noticed that anxious people with anxious attachment styles tend to attract or end up in relationship with people with avoidant attachment styles and that's I don't know it's like an unhealthy balance because the attachment the anxious person, at least for me, is seeking like um, to have their needs met by someone who's kind of representative of their parent. So if that parent was emotionally unavailable, that's where you end up with the avoidant. And in my case, that's that was the case because my parents were um, they traveled a lot for work um, mm-hmm. and also in our cultures, they don't really have this language. So there's a lot of when you're when you're crying or when you're you need something as a child, it's more of like 
be quiet. What are you crying about? Da, 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 da. Like it's more, they shut you down instead of soothing you. Mm-hmm. Um, they prefer to take the let, let you self soothe approach. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like I got a little bit of both because my dad was very attentive to my needs, but my mom was not. Mm-hmm. And that's where I get kind of like that mixture. And I ended up in a relationship with someone who was avoidant and boy, that whole relationship, my my nervous system was shot because like I spoke about in the ex um, episode, there were times where we would be great. We would get really close and everything would sound we would everything would kind of flow really well. There would be this intimacy, this closeness, this intensity, and that would trigger that person because that person was avoidant. So they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is too close for comfort. I need to retreat. And in turn, when they retreated, that triggered me because I'm like, wait, where are you going? Come back. Let's be close. Let's come closer to me. So we would trigger each other back and forth. And we didn't really understand it just in the relationship. It just seemed like I wasn't having my needs met. I was clingy. And the other person was like, be more independent. You don't need, we don't need to be so close to each other all the time. Like, you know, but pretty much that's, that's how it played up in my previous romantic relationship. A couple of times you mentioned um, your nervous system, Mm -hmm. like, you know, for our listeners, like what, what does that mean to you? How does that play with your attachment style? Like, yeah. When I think about my nervous system, I think about fight or flight. I think about anxiety. Mm -hmm. So I was constantly in fight or flight. I was constantly because I just didn't know when I would be when I would be getting my needs met or when I would be close to my partner and when my partner would choose to remove themselves. So there was no stability. Um, There was just a constant change in our dynamic. And that just made me on edge all the time because I just didn't know when it would turn. And so for me, when I think about my nervous system, I think, I think specifically about the anxiety that I would feel constantly and being on my toes constantly to kind of be like anticipating what's going to change. When is this going to change? When is this good feeling going to not be a good feeling anymore? When is this closeness going to be distance? Mm -hmm. That's, That's what I think about. Yeah. Yeah. That's good one thing that I'm thinking of concerning the nervous system is actually some work that I'm doing like on the spiritual side too Mm -hmm. is like the importance of the body and the significance of it. And so there is this idea of like, even though we're talking about relationships and our relationship with ourselves and even our like home life and how we grew up, um, your physiological responses the way you talked about fight flight freeze Mm -hmm. like that that's very much so your bodily experience to these things Mm -hmm. and so like when I feel like um anxious like my heart I feel it mostly in my chest or in my stomach like Mm -hmm. you're going up a roller coaster like going Mm -hmm. up that's the feeling I get in my stomach um Mm. which I don't even like roller coasters. So (laughs) I get that when I'm feeling anxious or um, scared about like abandonment, like feeling that from my partner or friends, Um, even in my chest area gets really heavy, like a block is on it. Um, Those things, like when we feel those things in our body, like what do we do? Um, I think shows uh, 
where our attachment style lies. Um, do I like, you know, rev up and pick a fight or do I, um, you know, I hate the word needy cause I feel like there's shame around it, but, um, really like, I don't know, like probe our partner, someone that's like retreating and we try to get closer, try to get closer, try to get closer. They're obviously holding us at arm's length. Um, yeah, at least for the anxious attachment, that's kind of what that looks like. So, And I think it's funny because one of the biggest, um, the core fear of an anxious person is the fear of abandonment. Um, so it's funny because through those behaviors, which they call protest behaviors. So when you're triggered as an mm-hmm. anxious person, the protest behavior is as a child, you would throw a tantrum to get your parents' a- a- attention. You would yell, you would cry, you would anything to get their attention. And that is called protest behavior. And as an adult, that shows up as being critical or being demanding or being nitpicky or being super needy or being super clingy. So that behavior actually ends up reinforcing our fear of abandonment because when you are very critical and needy and demanding, all you're doing is pushing that partner back or pushing people away. So inevitably, you are making your your worst fear come true mm-hmm. by by leaning into your attachment style. And the avoidant, because they didn't get that attention from their parents, they their biggest fear is rejection. So they protect themselves from that rejection by closing off, by keeping people at an arm's length. And inevitably, they make their real fear come to life. Because when you keep people at an arm's length, you're never going to have intimate relationship. You're never going to have those close bonds that we want as human beings. So I think it's very interesting that our attachment styles, literally, um, they play into our fears. They do play into our fears. And I will say, I don't know why I feel like I need to defend the anxious attachment. <laughs> because because I really have that that inner child um, mm-hmm. coming coming out at times when I do that protest behavior. I think if if I behave in that protest behavior, whatever it is, um, to someone that's a secure attachment, mm-hmm. like they could see that as, oh, there's a need there that's not being met. Absolutely, and that, and that I can and that I can meet. Absolutely. Like, so what I don't want the anxious attachment person to hear and be like, oh yeah, when my needs aren't met and I'm upset about it. And the other, my partner says, like, you're being a lot. That's mm-hmm. too much. Da, 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 da. It's like, no, that's gaslighting. You still have relational needs. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might not need to do, like, a protest behavior, but you can communicate, like, hey, there was a boundary that was crossed. Hey, I really needed you to, like, um, you know, follow through on that thing that you said you would. Um, you can still communicate things like that. So... But I I think you can only communicate that when you know your attachment style. Because for me, I feel like I, my only way of communicating that I needed a need met was to indulge in protest behavior because I didn't have the language. And this is why we want to talk to you guys about it. It's not that 
you need to feel shame about your attachment style is that you need to be aware of it so that you know that when you do feel triggered in a relationship, that you understand that, okay, this is my attachment style coming out. How can I navigate this and let my partner in, in a way that doesn't, um, that's not protest behavior, like you mm-hmm. said. So I'm feeling triggered right now. So instead of yelling at you, telling you how you weren't, you weren't there and you're never there for me and you, I really needed you in this moment and you just dropped the ball, you're able to say, hey, when this happened, like you just said, when this happened, this is why I felt disappointed. I felt let down because I really expected you to show up for me in this way instead of protest behavior. So I think, yeah. Do you get what I mean? Yes. You get the language when you, you know that that's your style. Yes. The, I think the, the protest behavior comes from that like inner panic that Mm -hmm. happens for the anxious person. It's not coming from this kind of like, I guess you could say calmer place, just a, a much more aware place. Like, Hey, there wasn't, there was something that needed to happen that didn't and I can just communicate and the securely attached person can can understand that there's not like a there's there will be repair in the relationship afterwards now if you're with an avoidant person they gonna make you feel silly Mm -hmm. they're gonna Mm -hmm. play on um on you saying that there was a need because they've actually built up a sense of self that is they think they're void of needs mm-hmm. saying like they don't, they think they don't need anybody. They're self-sufficient. In fact, they've built like, yeah, their self-worth, their self-value on that. And so without, and I think even the society builds that up, right? The, the individual, the independent, the, the strong black woman, you know, that, that person is really upheld in the society. So um, you kind of feel, you you kind of feel put down by that. And they even have like more incentive to to play into that. So that's my thoughts. Yeah, I think like, can we talk a little bit more about our homes? Like, why do you think you developed an anxious style? I think it's just not getting my needs met as a child when I needed to be soothed, pretty Mm -hmm. much. Um, I heard someone talk about, and I hope I can explain this well, but it's like when um, someone has their finger in like an electrical outlet and they're like being electrocuted, right? You need someone to come in and like turn it off, like to turn off the outlet so that, you know, you can be safe. But then for people who didn't get their needs met, for example, going back to the avoidant who didn't have the parents who soothed them or the parents who said, you need to self-soothe, It's like letting a child sit at an electrical outlet and just be shocked and telling them that they need to figure out because as children, we don't know how to self-regulate. That's pretty much what the psychology behind this is that Mm -hmm. as children, we don't know how to self-regulate. So we need our parental figures to do that for us. But for me, yeah, it came from just having a hardworking mama who just wanted to provide and, you know, no fault to her for that but she was constantly gone. 
I just didn't have someone to regulate my emotions as a child when I would feel them. So I had to learn to regulate myself. And my mom was there sometimes and other times she wasn't there. So that just created that that feeling of, I just don't know. I don't know when I'm going to have that safety and security from my parent. And I don't know when I'm going to have to figure it out on my own. So I kind of started teeting back and forth between those two. I agree. Yeah, I would say somewhat similarly, like, um, yeah, there was just stress on the family. I think uh, there was some dysfunction going on in relationships, Um, you know, yeah, with the siblings, with the parents between themselves, which made, yeah, the home environment um, a little bit stressful. And uh, I think, too, You know, I had my mom. I also had my aunt and my uncle and my dad. You know, we were all together. And eventually my aunt, no, my aunt and my cousin, pardon me, my aunt and my cousin. But then they left when I was five, four, something like that. Um, And I need to unpack that more. That probably could have been more significant for me than, Mm. um, than I realize. I remember growing up and like always talking about them, always remembering them. Like if I made up a story. Like, I remember making up a story in third grade about my aunt. And by that time, I hadn't seen her in, like, how many years? Like, at least four or five years by that point. Um, but she, I was still very, you know, concerned with 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 them. So they played a larger role than maybe I realized. But, um, yeah, I just remember being, like, in my room a lot. Or I had friends that I was closer to, so I'd be on the phone with them. Um, but then those friendships would end so I I just I remember like if I was angry or upset I never thought about going to my parents Mm -hmm. that would never cross my mind ever um and so just recognizing that um that I didn't eventually I just started to rely on myself Mm. um, just be by myself in my room and that's how I regulated so Sometimes I even like, I'm like, oh, am I anxious or am I like fearful avoidant? But either way, I think like noticing the signs, noticing the patterns, noticing my body and paying attention to it is the best way to like move to a secure attachment. So mm-hmm. how, where do you feel like you fall now? Like now that you have the language and you've learned more about attachment styles, how do you feel like that's helped you navigate um, relationships and relationships with others and relationships with yourself more? That's a good question. I think I'm able to, um, I mean, decode it more, like decode what's going on for me. Um, like when I have a friend or, you know, something happens with my sister or my parents or, um, you know, a previous partner or a potential partner. Um, I don't feel so like at the mercy of my, um, you know, inklings or however I'm feeling like just my strong emotions. I don't feel so at the mercy of them, if that makes sense. Mm. Before it's like, I don't know why I feel like this, but I just feel like extremely drawn to this person right in the beginning 
or, um, you know, I feel really abandoned by this person. Um, but I'm able to like, just have a, um, kind of a more neutral stance as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, I know this is at play. Like I can, I can kind of like hear the music a little mm-hmm. bit more if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So it's not a surprise when those emotions come up and I'm like, and then I'm able to assess the situation because again, I don't want to gaslight myself mm-hmm. and be like, oh, you, that's because you anxious attachment. Like, don't worry about oh, it. That's because you're too needy. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, then we play into it ourselves, mm-hmm. which is like, that's what anxious attachment people would do as well. Cause they actually compared to the avoidant person, anxious attachment has a lower view of self. They'll always think something is wrong with them than the other person. And the avoidant person never thinks something's wrong with them. They always think something's wrong with the other person. Right. Um, and so that I feel like that's always a telltale sign as well. Um, and so for me, yeah, just being able to walk in awareness, there's like a a, a calm before um, I act instead of reacting and then having like this hangover afterwards. Um, I, I look back on situations, I have such compassion on myself. Um, I understand what other people are going through as well. And I can, before, again, this is the anxious part, I would be like, that happened because of me. They didn't want me. They treated me wrong because of me, mm-hmm. um, which is what the anxious person does. But I'm able to look back and be like, hey, they were just, they were playing, literally playing out their avoidant attachment. Literally playing, like, look at how all their relationships end the same exact way. Classic avoidant. Like, that has nothing to do with me. Like, absolutely nothing. Like, and, and avoidants tend to have a negative, pers- uh, a negative perspective of all their previous partners, too, if you notice. Oh, yeah. When they tell you the story of their previous relationships, it tends to be in a, in a negative light. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I didn't know that, you know, so I think the largest, yeah, the largest thing is just walking in awareness and choosing because the, the fun and really hopeful thing about attachment is that you can heal. Like you absolutely. can move towards a secure attachment, um, which is so exciting. So like then I'm, it's like, oh, I can be aware of these things. I can move towards um, move towards a a secure attachment. So, Mm -hmm. and some of the, just to give you guys some practical tools that you can use to heal your attachment style, especially, and I know we're speaking a lot to the anxious attachment person, because that's what we both kind of identify with a lot, but some ways that you can work on healing that is when you do feel triggered is to regulate your nervous system. And you can do this by just taking some deep breaths. When you do feel like you're in that fight or flight mode, take a couple deep breaths, try to ground yourself because when you are in fight or flight, it's very hard to think clearly and it's very easy to lean into that anxiety. So one thing is to deep breaths, exercise, take a walk, take a second. Um, Another thing that I'm seeing is acknowledge that your inner child is calling for attention. When you are triggered, remember to connect with that inner child because there is a need that wasn't met as a child that's being triggered as an adult. So have compassion for yourself. Um, 
and understand that that's where that's coming from. Um, another thing is externalize your feelings. Tell your partner, someone you can trust, tell your friend, tell your partner that this is my attachment style. This is why I'm reacting in this way right now. I'm triggered. I need, and be very clear. I feel like you should be in relationship with someone who you can be so vulnerable with that you can really tell them like, in this moment, this is exactly what I need from you and spell it out to them. I need you to hold my hand in this moment. I need you to tell me you love me. I need you to tell me, for me, I think, break it down. Break it down, make it as simple as you can. Really tell them what you need in that moment with no shame. Um, That's good. Remember your worth. Remember your worth because, uh, like you said, anxious people tend to have a low um, self-image. And practice mindful communication. And that's when you are triggered into having that protest behavior, which could be clinginess or uh, being nitpicky or being super demanding. Practice mindful communication. Use your words. Tell them exactly why it is that you felt let down or you felt abandoned or you felt that they weren't there when you needed them to be there. Um, And I think... That all comes from also being very aware of people that are avoidance because the most toxic (laughs) combination is an anxious and an avoidant. And a lot of psychologists say that that ends up being the dynamic. And I'm sure a lot of you guys listening could probably identify with that. So do you want to give them some red flags of what avoidance look like? Because I have some. You know what? I was listening to you. I'm like, I'm feeling bad now for the avoidance because. Yeah, don't. Yeah, don't judge them. (laughs) Are we dogging on them too much? No judgment. (laughs) No judgment to the avoidance. It's just, you know, we we anxious, us anxious people, we got to protect ourselves from avoidance. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all be triggering us real bad. But we also understand that's because you didn't get your needs met at all as a child you know I think too something I want to say is like you know the anxious attachments are probably going to be the ones that seek like material like this out they're the ones because they they know their behavior isn't working um there is that little like you know awareness like oh man like I don't I don't feel good about how my relationships are going I do feel kind of stuck um and they're going to look up podcasts like this and look for help. But I, I think the avoidant um, person is is really comfortable with their self-reliance, um, just like that independent lifestyle. Um, he or she, you know, um, they avoid like closeness. Um, they avoid connection because there's it's risky for them. Um, I think we were talking about fear of abandonment and then for avoidant, it was like fear of rejection. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like, Oh, I, if I just go it alone and I don't ask for help, like nobody will reject me. Nobody will dismiss me. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a protective mechanism. It is a protective. And I actually have a quote here from a psychologist for the avoidant attachment. It's, it's very, I thought it was profound. So here it is. Um, it says, we can grow up in homes where the food finds the table, the money, the college f- the college funds, and the family even finds the church e- each Sunday. 
but somehow our hearts remain undiscovered by the two people we most need to know us, our parents. Mm. And that's Kurt Thompson. I like that. Yeah. So it's like, you can have like, live in a great house, you know, your parents maybe took you to all the sports games, you know, Mm -hmm. like they might've done all that you needed physically but if they never really engaged you on an emotional level um you know if you were you never thought to go to them when you were feeling sad or it's like at some point you realize as a child there was a time where you're like I can't trust going to my parent to help me like figure this emotion out and what a heartbreaking thing that is to discover as a child yeah Yeah. I, I can't depend on these people that are supposed to like to be my safe haven, you know? That's that's really sad. That is. I feel yeah. like there's a lot of there's a lot a lot of grief over being a child in distress and your parents don't give you the comfort, care, um, you know, connection that you need. Um, you needed and and i think part of that that wall of the avoidant is like i don't want to have to ever expect that again and get disappointed so there's like this protective element like you said um and yeah. they're, they're not only numb to emotions and relating to other people they're also numb to their own emotion yes like, internally when they feel those things they shut themselves down from themselves Mm -hmm. so there's a huge disconnect internally so it's very hard for them to obviously connect externally you know yes i probably the most yeah when you find someone with those like dissociative tendencies and um not saying all like having space to yourself is always bad but like um if you don't have like a good balance of retreat and also connection um that's that's telltale avoidant as well Mm -hmm. and as grown-ass women and men who want to pursue wholeness and who want to be healthy you have to be very aware of the red flags that you see when you initially meet someone when you're in the talking stages when you're in the dating stages um, it's not cute to have someone who, I think for a while, like, I was so attracted to people who were like a little bit mysterious, kind of like held me at an arm length. I just wanted to know more. I just wanted, I just want to crack that shell. That mm. shit ain't cute. It's now, cute. like if I met, if I met someone, if I wasn't in a relationship and I met someone who was like that, like smoke and mirrors and tries to keep an air of like mystery, I'd run the other way fast. Very fast. Very fast. Okay. Um, some of the telltale signs that someone is an avoidant is things like they constantly tell you that they were in and out of previous relationships or they're big on casual hookups, casual relationships, nothing really deep, you know? Um, they're super invested in you almost too quickly. Um, people like that tend to pull you in and put, put spit you out just as fast. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they're cagey about sharing their feelings. You know, the person who's like, I don't really like to talk about my feelings. You know, I don't really. That's not cute, boo. Mm-mm. No, thank yeah. you. Um, they talk that's not a, a personality trait. I mm-hmm. think like that's actually some underdevelopment. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to be someone that can talk and exchange about your emotions. That's actually a sign of maturity. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, and the last one I see here is they talk a lot about wanting space and freedom. Um, it's hard to be in a relationship with someone who wants space and freedom all the time, you know, because relationship is also about partnership. It's, a, it's also about coming together with someone, incorporating someone into your life. So if someone's always talking about how they love being on their own, how they love being independent, how they love their space, they love their freedom, not a bad thing, but maybe not the right thing for someone who needs intimacy in relationship, especially as an anxious person. So yes, those are just some things that you can look out for uh, when you are meeting new people that you potentially want to pursue romantic relationships with. Um, and, you know, do some more research about attachment style. Be very aware of your attachment style, because if you're someone who does want a long term, healthy, intimate relationship, then it's it's great to have the language and it's great to really know that about yourself so that you can be aware of it and be able to navigate it in a healthy, in a healthy way. Agreed. Yeah. Um, the last question I wanted to ask though is how compatible do you think attachment theory is with Africans? <laughs> <laughs> what a loaded question. I don't know. What do you mean? Break that down for me. How compatible it is? Break it down for me a little bit. Like sometimes like when I'm reading stuff about really anything, like, you know, like sometimes I'll be like, oh, that doesn't work for Habisha's. That doesn't like, I, I like, there's always like this kind of, I got to contextualize things for me, for my family, how I grew up. I have to like tailor things to my experience. Cause some things are like, they don't take into account different cultures. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. When you think about like maybe more particularly what we were talking about, like things around self-development, things around psychology. Um, I think we have to, like for instance, do you know about the Enneagram? Mm-mm. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Well, there's, um, I've heard before, like there's the nine types, right? And each type is kind of like a different personality. You could say whatever. I'm not a huge like, um, I don't know all about it, but the type two is known for being like the helper. Mm. And so what they say is like a lot of Southern women misdiagnose, like misidentify themselves as a type two personality because the culture is like that. They think they're the helper type two personality type when really they're another personality. But because that's already part of the culture, they just like misidentify themselves. So sometimes there's like because of the culture that you're in, it might not fit all the way. For instance, the anxious attachment is really known for seeking approval outside of themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think like you I think at least for Africans, because we're known we're supposed to find approval with our parents and that's a really high value. I think like avoidant and anxious people will find both of that mm-hmm. at play. Mm-hmm. 
I don't think that's just an anxious thing. So there's like little things like that. I feel like you might have to like be aware of. Absolutely. You have to be mindful of the nuances based on your cultural background. Exactly. That's that's. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. So guys, we hope we gave you guys some useful tools about attachment. We could go on about attachment for so long because there's just so many theories and so many different psychologists talking about it. So Google it, YouTube it, read it. There's books on it. Um, and we're, we're going to put some resources in the description box, box of this podcast so you guys can have some material to reference. Um, so yeah, we hope that was helpful. Yes, we love attachment theory. And we'll continue, you know, talking about it, dropping it in different episodes. So, yeah, let us know what you thought. Let us know which style you think you are. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And with that being said, it's time for our self-care tip. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting so excited. Crying. What's our self-care tip this week, Maki? One, I feel like people do this already, but I don't know why I just wanted to talk about it, was calling a friend. Oh, That's call. a self-care tip. Yes. Yeah. I say call because I'm not really near my friends, but. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think calling a friend that you can laugh with, that knows some of the like hardship that you're currently going through to make sure you can touch on it um the the whole conversation doesn't have to be about the hard stuff but I think just having some you know history with that person is really helpful like Mm -hmm. someone that you don't feel drained after talking with them Mm -hmm. I don't know that that probably says more about me than the tip but No. (laughs) (laughs) no I hear you on that yeah um I, I mean, I call a lot of people, but there's only a small handful that I don't feel like, ugh, I got to call them. Yeah. Like, so, yeah, just calling that person that you actually feel, like, um, refreshed and, like, gassed up afterwards. Energized, yes. Energized, yeah. I think that is caring for yourself and especially for the avoidant because we want to love on you a little bit <laughs> because we were dogging you the whole time. Sorry, you. Sorry. Sorry. Um, y'all messed us up, so we had to come for you once. <laughs> <laughs> Hold him down. <laughs> I hate you. Oh, my God. I know yes. who I'm picturing right now I'm on his face like, oh, I'm joking um but yeah no like I think just going against that instinct avoidant to be by yourself all the time not saying you don't need space Mm -hmm. have your space but also invite someone in to help you regulate yes there's nothing bad like I need to hey can can I can I give you a call I just need to talk to you about work today it was a bit hard Mm-hmm. Or just be like, yeah, you know, you don't even got to warn them. Just be like, you know, this was really hard for me and this is how I'm feeling about it. Let them ask you a couple questions about it. Just a little bit, as much as you feel comfortable with. But I think like letting our friends come into our world a little bit yeah, and helping us regulate, that's a self-care tip. 
So absolutely. I love that. That's that. Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Am I Whole Yet? Make sure you reach out to us on Instagram, on uh, Twitter, on by email. Leave us a comment, rate us on iTunes, ask us questions, give us topics that you guys want to go more in depth with. Um, and we will do that. We love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next Saturday. Next Saturday. Love y'all. Bye. Bye.